I'd ask you to turn in the book of Luke as we continue our studies, Luke chapter 12. And we're looking at this passage from verses 1 to 12. And I've divided this passage into two sections and we're going to be looking at it this week and next week. The whole matter of dealing with fear. Dealing with fear. Tonight, today we're going to be looking at what I've titled Good Fear and Bad Fear. What is it? How do we recognize it? And then next week, when we're in a situation where we are afraid, how do we deal with it? And so this is the passage we'll be looking at. And let's see what Jesus says here as this passage is given to us. Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading for this morning just verses 1 to 7. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Isn't that a comforting passage? There's a bit to get through before we get to the comfort though. This malady or sickness or growth, which I'm going to speak about in my introduction this morning, is found in every single one of us. Not one of us can say we are free of it. the snare of popularity, the snare of the fear of man, the snare of hypocrisy, two-facedness. And it has brought many Christians down and made many, many Christians ineffective for the Lord. Popular preachers who dilute the truth so that they'll keep the people pleased are guilty of this. They want to keep the people so that the finances can come in and so that they can get the kudos from people. So they water down the truth. Teenagers and students, I'm speaking to you too this morning. Have you ever weakened your stand for Christ so that you will not be rejected by your friends at uni or at school? And so you don't speak up as much as you should be? What about you and I, the rest of us? You and I are guilty of putting up fronts so that people think we are okay, that we are spiritually on top of things, and so we put up the spiritual front. And everyone thinks we are just going well. But meanwhile, under the surface, 
things are a little different. There's this vicious growth happening inside of us. It's a form of pride. The first symptoms of this growth is the fear of man and it results in hypocrisy. They're all connected, you see. How do I get this? Well, Jesus describes this. You see, we need to look at what's been happening. He's just come out of the home of the Pharisee. And what did Jesus do in this home of the Pharisee? He brought down woes on the Pharisees and the scribes. For what? For hypocrisy. For saying one thing and living another thing. For for saying, this is who I am as a religious person, but meanwhile, under the surface, they weren't honouring God at all. And here, he steps out of the home to be met by this massive crowd, and his disciples are with him. And it actually emphasises this crowd. It says that there were many, many people in this crowd, so many that they were trampling on each other. So, in other words, it's a massive crowd that meets Jesus and the disciples as they step out of this home. And Jesus immediately turns to his disciples and he warns them about hypocrisy. Why would he do that? You see, there's a link. As his disciples step out of this home, maybe they see this great crowd and they think, Wow, aren't we popular? Look at them. They've come to hear the Lord and us. We're part of this, aren't we? Maybe they were flattered by the tension that these people are bringing to the Lord. Or maybe they've just been with the Pharisees and they're thinking, we've still got to live with these people. They are powerful in Israel. Maybe we should water down what we say. Maybe we shouldn't come over as strongly so that we can avoid further trouble with them. Jesus warns them about hypocrisy or play acting. Hiding oneself behind a mask trying to appear more spiritual than what you are, covering up the real self, in other words. Jesus says, recognize it, my friends, recognize it and beware of it. He calls it the leaven of the Pharisees. It's dishonesty, it's deception and it creeps in you. It's a type of fear, it's a bad fear. Don't have this, says Jesus, recognize it. You see, these Pharisees were more concerned about their reputations before men, as I said last time, than what they were about their characters before God. There's a difference, you see. The fear of man is what? Being aware of your reputation before men. And the fear of God? Being aware of your reputation before God. And so he uses this imagery of leaven and this The moment Jesus said the word, the leaven of the Pharisees, every Jew standing there would have associated it with baking bread. And they would have known exactly what Jesus was speaking about because they used to bake their bread every day. Now, most of us go to the supermarket and we buy five loaves and it's not much effort. But they had to bake their bread every day and so they had to use leaven. And the way they used to use leaven, and those of you who made homemade bread, they used to put this little bit of leaven in this dough and work it in and then they'd let it stand and then this leaven would grow inside and cause the dough to expand, to rise and then they would put it in the oven and bake it. It would work quickly and quietly. 
Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So how does that work then? You see, hypocrisy works in the same way. It works quickly, quietly inside of us. It grows, we don't even see it, and then when it comes out, it is big. It puffs up. And here's the danger, you see, it infects the whole system. And you are usually the last person to see it. Others will see it in you before you see it. And there's a further danger. If we don't tackle this leaven of hypocrisy, it continues to grow until we deal with it. So it needs to be cleaned out. Paul uses the same imagery in 1 Corinthians when he, when he says to the Corinthian church, you've got sexual immorality in the church. You need to clean out that bad leaven amongst you. Clean it out because it will infect the whole body. But that's not the biggest thing, you see. Those of you parents, here's the bigger danger. It spreads from you to others. How? Your children will recognize it in you. They will recognize hypocrisy. Dad says one thing and he does another thing. And what do children do from us? They copy us like little photocopies all the time. And if they see it in dad, if they see it in mum, guess what? The leaven is going to spread to them. And there it goes to the next generation. And if they don't deal with it, their children will have this leaven. And so it spreads through all the generations. And so it is a matter we need to deal with. We need to deal with it seriously. And that's not the worst of it. If you thought that was the worst, the world sees it in us too. They can recognize hypocrisy a mile off. They can see when we say one thing and when we live another way. Your colleagues at work, you preach Jesus Christ, but when you're having your social time, then suddenly it's a whole different person that's standing here. They see hypocrisy. And what does the world do when they know a Christian says one thing and he does another or she does another thing? What do they do? They turn their back on you and they reject the one who is in you, Jesus Christ, and they walk away because of your example. You see, it comes down to this hypocrisy. And the trouble is, once we start pretending and playing this hypocrisy game, the process goes on quickly and the longer we wait, the worse it gets. Sir Walter Scott, a famous dead guy, said this, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when, we, when first we practice what? To deceive. You see, the problem is we get so good at it that we forget about it. We deceive ourselves, not just others. And we think we can get away with it. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy because it will spread in you too. And if you think you can get away with it, you can't, because he carries on. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse 2. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. You see, how does hypocrisy work? It covers up, and it tries to hide what is really happening. And Jesus says, Nothing will be covered up. Nothing will be revealed. It will all be exposed. All hypocrisy will be revealed. And he carries on, he says, even that said in the darkness will be heard in the light. 
Now, when something is said in the darkness, it doesn't mean that you're out walking at night and then you're saying something to each other. That's not what he's talking about. It is people who go into a dark place where they will not be seen and then they say something. So what is the intent? Evil. I want to hide it. Jesus says, even if it's said in the darkness, it will be exposed in the light. And note the tenses too. Don't let that to the last bit. He says, even though it is said in the darkness, what tense is that? Past tense. It will be revealed in the light. What tense is that? Future tense. So you might think it's past and over no one found out. But Jesus said, if you don't deal with it, it will come out again. And I'm going to refer to that. When that's going to happen. There's a future tense, you see, to our past tense. Things that we've hidden. Jesus says, nothing that is in the darkness will stay that way. It will be heard in the light. Why does he speak about in the light? You see, there's our clue as to what's going to happen. It's going to be heard in the light. In the light of the one who lives in unapproachable light, says First Timothy. Who is, the, who is Jesus speaking about? Not God. Himself. Do you see there? He is God, yes, but He is the one who's going to be judging. And the Pharisees wouldn't have got this. That this one that they were standing in front of, this one they were trying to fool, was the very one that was going to judge them too. And he could see their hearts. And one day in the future, when the Son of Man comes again, they will stand before Jesus Christ again. And he knows their hearts. And he is the one who light comes from. And their deeds will be exposed by the very one standing in front of them. And he spells it out. He says, what to the ear you spoke. The literal Greek says, what to the ear you, you spoke. In other words, what you whispered in each other's ear. I like that kind of picture puts there of two people close together, mouth in the ear. What you tried to say in such a way that no one else was going to hear. What you whispered in the secret rooms. And what it's talking about here in the text is, the well of homes had this real little secret room that was built right in the middle of the house. And they used to put all the treasures in there and bolt it up. And what these people would do is if they wanted to plot or speak evil, they would go into this treasure room, close the door and then do their plotting. Right? Jesus says, even where you are in the treasure room where you think no one will know or see you, those things will be shouted out on the rooftops where everyone will see and hear. And what he's speaking here about is it's a court proceeding. You see, when someone was taken to court, it didn't quite work the same way that we do it. It's a bit louder because that what they would do is they would stand in the city square and they would herald, they would speak out, this person has been charged with these and this and this and this sin and everyone in the town they knew. It was shouted out, it was proclaimed and then the judgment would happen. Jesus is saying, what you whispered in those treasure rooms will be shouted out at the judgment and all these things that you whispered will be said out and the charge will be laid against you publicly. So if you thought you weren't going to be found out, you will be. So beware of hypocrisy, says the Lord. I want you to turn with me just to Revelation 
We're going to hop around a little bit because I want you to see this big picture that Jesus is referring to. Revelation chapter 20. Listen to what Jesus says. He's speaking about a time in the future when these things will happen. And if you do not know the Lord, you need to listen to this because you will be affected. And if you do know the Lord, you also need to listen to this because you too will be affected. Listen to what he says. The the Apostle John writes this. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And these books contain the names of the elect and what they have done. What people have done all over the world, dead and alive. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is going to refer to that lake pretty soon in his conversation too. Do you see what's happening here? He's pointing to a time ahead when you will not be able to hide anything, but when everything will be revealed. Now I want you just to think in this last week, never mind the rest of your life, just this last week, is there anything that you have said or thought that you would not want others to hear or to know? One thing. If you come and whispered it to me and I shouted it out here, would you be embarrassed? Because Jesus is saying that thought, those words will be revealed before millions. But that's not all. It's going to take you into judgment if you do not deal with it. Do you see how this growth works inside of you? It is serious. You see, it's going to be held to account. Now, there is a solution. It's not all bad news, so stop looking so glum. Okay? I can see you from here. Hypocrisy or the fear of man only comes about because of a lack of the correct kind of fear. So, there's a bad fear, and then there's a good fear. And the one helps against the other one. Alright? You clear with that? No. I'll carry on explaining. There's a good fear and a bad fear. I've explained the bad fear. Now Jesus comes out and he speaks about this good fear that we are to have, which will counteract the bad fear, the fear of man. Look at verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. What can someone do to you once they've killed you? They can kick the body. They can burn the body. But will you feel it? No. So don't fear them, says Jesus. But I will tell you, I will warn you whom you are to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. And then he double emphasizes that. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. Now that's an awesome thought too. That's a kind of a fearful thought too and that's why it's called fear. But it's a good fear. How? Well, Jesus says, don't fear your persecutors, they can only kill the body, but... Fear God, Jesus as judge. Fear me, who 
after he has killed the body. Now, what is he talking about? Well, aren't our lives in his hands? Isn't every hour of your life in his hands? And so, when he kills the body, when you die, he has authority to cast the soul into hell. And whatever scientists and others who don't believe in God tell you, there is life after death. Jesus directly speaks about it here. And he knows all truth. And so we must listen. He says here, He will cast your soul into hell. There are two parts to you. There's your body and your soul. And whether you believe it or not, they exist. And Jesus says, when you die, your soul will continue to live. And I have the power to do what I will do with your soul. You see the the one who we are to fear? God has His power over the soul. I just want to stop here and speak a little bit about this hell because Jesus uses it very deliberately here. In the original he says, I will cast your soul into Gehenna. He uses that word very deliberately. It's the word for hell, but it's very closely associated in the Jewish mind to the phrase Gehinnom. So it's Gehenna, Gehinnom. Do you see the similarity? And to a Jewish hearer, when they heard this word Gehenna, immediately the association in their minds would go to the word Gehennon, which meant the rubbish dumps just outside of Jerusalem. Now, why would that association be there? You see, it was to them a small picture of what hell really will be like one day. You see, that valley to the southeast of Jerusalem was once a beautiful valley. But then they came along and they built a high place there, a place where Offerings could be made to the gods. And it was called Tophet. The place of spitting out. Or abhorrence. Or the place of burning. That's the name it got. Because what happened was, they built this high tower with a hole in it. And then they fed, they fed wood and everything down there, lit it up. And that fire never went out. And into that fire, and if you're squeamish you need to close your ears now. Into that fire, mothers and fathers would bring their little children... And they used to offer them to the gods. They used to burn them alive. And so in this place where you had all the smoke, you would get the stench of of this human flesh burning. You would hear the wailing of parents. You would hear the screaming of these kids as they got thrown into the fire. Do you see the association Jesus is speaking about? Jeremiah says that God's divine judgment, he prophesied would be brought against the people who offered sacrifices here at this prophet. And it would become, it would be called the valley of slaughter. And in Jesus' time, it was the very same valley where they burned the rubbish from the city. And that's where the lepers had to stay too. But it was a place where there was always smoke, there was always stench. And you'd always hear people in moaning over there because sick people were around there, there were dying people around there. And if someone was dying, they weren't quite yet dead, they would be thrown onto the rubbish heap and that's where they would have their last hours. It was a terrible place. And so Jesus deliberately associates them with that place. But was he talking about that all of us one day will be taken to Jerusalem and thrown on the rubbish dump? No, it was a, it was a picture of something else. He was speaking about hell, about Gehenna, 
about that place that I read about in Revelation 20, that lake of fire where all those who do have not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who have not dealt with their hypocrisy will find that they are thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and there there is always wailing and the stench of death. So we have to fear the God who can put us there. But there's a beautiful balance, you see, because, thank the Lord, the passage does not end there. Because I think I'd get depressed. And you wouldn't know where to turn. But the passage carries on. Look at verse 6. If that, thank, you, thank you, Lord, for sparrows. You see, he says here, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Here's the balance to that picture. You are of more value than many sparrows. You see, at the same time that God has control over the soul and He can cast people into hell, that very same God is the one who upholds us. The, the very same God who forgives us our sins, who takes away our sins so that I don't have to go to that terrible place. The one who upholds me. The one who cares for me. The one who loves me. And I need to have awe for Him. I need to fear Him, the one who has control over my soul. He will keep me safe in that day. Do you see the balance? I am to have a fear of God. Because He cares for me. His wrath is always tempered with mercy. Everywhere in Scripture where you go, you will see descriptions of this God, who is a God of wrath. But very soon after that, you will see there's a description of a God of mercy. They always go together. The one is never without the other one. And that's why we need to come to this heart of the passage where he speaks about these sparrows. And yes, this is a holy and a majestic God who will judge all men and he consigns some to hell. But for those of us who have submitted to him, this is the very same God that we entrust our lives to. He's a God who saves. He's a God who forgives. He's a God who cares and He can be trusted. And Jesus says, verse 6, Fear Him and know that He cares for you. That's great. So what's the big deal with the sparrows? They're just birds. Some of us don't even know what they look like. You see, in Jesus' time, sparrows were both a delicacy and they were a, an article of commerce. They were a bit more important. They were caught, killed, skinned, roasted and consumed as a bit of a snack. Now please don't go and do that after church. Leave the sparrows alone. We don't want any animals harmed in the making of this production. These sparrows were used as a delicacy. But people used to trade with these them too. And you would take a farthing, which was a sixteenth of what you'd earn in a day, which was a denarius, the average income. You would take a sixteenth of that and you would go and buy yourself two sparrows for a farthing. And then you could fry them or take them to the temple or whatever you need to do because they could also be used in the temple for those who were poor. They could bring them and they could be killed to as a sign that they wanted their sins forgiven, right? So, you could go and buy your two sparrows for your farthing, or, have I got the deal for you? You could have five for two farthings. What is it actually saying? One comes free. 
And sparrows weren't worth much, you see. And Jesus says, and here's his point. Don't miss it now. He says, yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Even the sparrow that gets chucked in for free, that sparrow is not forgotten in God's sight. How much more does God love you and I? Isn't that a good contrast to see? These sparrows that were just being traded, God loves you so much more than just these birds. He loves you. And then we get to a touchy subject, hair. He says, even the, the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, God has to keep a quick eye on me in the mornings when I'm having the shower. But here's the truth. God knows down to the very hairs in our heads. Now, look around you. How many hairs in this room? God's got an active job. But it says God is so almighty and He cares for us so much that He knows about the hairs in our heads. And when it says that, it literally means that. Because doesn't He know everything? He cares for you. So will He not know what's going on in your life? Will He not know what's going on in your heart? Will He not know those thoughts in your head? And the truth is, He cares for you. And that's why you to fear Him. And therefore, he says the opposite, do not fear. Put your trust in this one who you are to fear. Do you get it? Don't fear, but fear him. Have all for this God. And don't fear men anymore. Rather, have all for God. You see, God sent his son to die for you. If you're not a Christian here, listen to me this morning. Here's the gospel message once again. God loves you so much, even though you still hate Him now, because you haven't given your life to Him, God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. And if you would put your trust in Him, then He will care for you too, much more than these sparrows. Because there will come a time when you will have to give an account for your life. And the only way you will survive that is if your life is in the hands of Almighty God and if, you're, if He's holding your soul in His hands, is your soul in the hands of Jesus Christ this morning? The only antidote to hypocrisy is what? The fear of God. You see, if you've got a big enough picture of God, why would your picture of men be the same size? It's because our pictures of people around us are so big that the picture of God gets smaller and smaller. And if the picture of God in my life is big and I see Him for who He is, then I won't fear men anymore. I won't be bothered about being rejected by people because I want to please the God who cares for me. Do you see how the one cancels out the other? There's a beautiful hymn written in the 1800s and he sums this passage up so beautifully and the principles in it. Listen to this and then we'll come to the application. O oh God, how wonderful Thou art! How Thy majesty, how bright! How beautiful Thy mercy seat in depths of burning light! Oh, how I fear Thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, tender fear, and worship Thee with trembling hope and penitential tears. Now listen to these words. Yet I may love thee too, O Lord, almighty as thou art. Why? For thou hast stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. Do you love God with a holy fear? Then love men less. Fear men 
Like any good physician, I want to give you some medication before we part our ways. And so I want to just run a quick test by you. And this test is to test if there is any hypocrisy in you. Are you ready to take the test? And then I'm going to give you two pills and send you home and you can call me in the morning. And you pay dearly. And you go to the doctor for that. Here we go. Here's the first test for hypocrisy. Are you listening? If you were on trial for being a Christian... Would there be evidence to convict you? If you had to go on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence found to say, yes, this person is a Christian? In other words, does your life show people that you are allied to Jesus or do you always do what will be accepted by popular opinion and just merge in with people? Can they see that you are a Christian without having a double standard in your life. How would you do with the first test? Right, here we go, second one. Where does your affirmation come from? Does it come from people or from God? Now you'll know by the following symptoms. Are you always going to people needing their acceptance and their praise? Or can you do things without people telling you how good they are? Can you get by without people's praise? If you can't, there's a good dose of hypocrisy. Third test, there's only four, so you'll still live. Verse four, uh, sorry, third one. Do you fear God even in your private moments? And I'm speaking to every single individual here, me included. Do you fear God even in your private moments, both in what you do and what you think? Think of this now. Those moments when no one else is with you, just you, whether you're at home, in the car, whatever. Do you fear God then by what you do and think? You see, the Bible says that your life is an open book to Him. Everything will be revealed, whether you like it or not. Got a few ticks in your life so far? Alright, last one. Think about God's care for you. We spoke about the sparrows and the hare. Does God's care for you, does it really comfort you in reality? Or is it just a good concept? When the pawpaw hits the proverbial fan, to use an African expression, do you, does the comfort of the Lord really comfort you or do you still run about like a stressed out bunny? You see, that is the reality to show whether it has become a reality in your life or whether it is just a concept. In other words, how do you react during adversity? Because that's when the world sees us. That's when our families see us. Have you got a balanced fear of God? Have you got a balanced fear of God? The awe of God and the reality that your soul in His hand. How did you do with a test? You should have at least had one tick on one of those. Now, your two pulls. I want to leave them with you. It's not my wisdom. This is wisdom from God. And I want you to memorize these. In other words, internalize your pulls like any good doctor will tell you. Take your pulls. He keeps telling me that too. Take your pulls 
and mull over what the Bible says here. And it's got directly to do with what we've been looking at this morning. Turn to Ecclesiastes, please. And if you can't find that, it's in the Old Testament. Ask the young, uh, the young adults. They should know. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, verses 13 to 14. It's not a long pull. You can break this one in half and learn it in sections, but internalize it. Look at this. Beautiful. Fear God. Keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You want to know how to live? Fear God. And keep His commandments. That's your duty. And there's a second part of this, Paul. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's the reality check for the future. So take your pills. It will save your life. Alright? Have a fear of God. Keep His commandments. And keep looking to the future. Put your future in His hands. Right, your first pull. The second one is found in the book of Proverbs. If you turn to Proverbs, just go back slightly in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 29. And here is verse 25, your second pull for the day. Listen to what it says. And if you can, memorize this one and mull over it in your mind. This is what it says. The fear of man lays a snare, a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, come on. That's not too hard to learn, is it? But it's really hard to apply. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. My prayer for you and for me this morning is that we've heard And remember what you said, that word heard means to obey, that we've heard God's words this morning about hypocrisy, the fear of man, the fear of God. Why? Because here's the bad truth for you. If you haven't dealt with hypocrisy yet, the bad news is it's growing in you right now. And it will be bigger tomorrow than what it is today. So deal with it before the Lord today. Don't leave it to grow. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You came to this earth to come and bring us Your wisdom, this wisdom which can save us. And Lord, You've brought to our attention as a whole church, which is made up of individuals, that we are to deal with the sin of hypocrisy, that dangerous growth which gets bigger and bigger and bursts out so that others will see and so that we would be judged by it one day. But Lord, thank you too for the knowledge you've given us that our, our lives can be in your hands, that you care for us. If we've put our trust in you, you care for us more than the little sparrows. And yet you know what they are doing too. You love us. You sent your Son for us. Lord, help us now to put our lives in your hands, to entrust ourselves to you, and to live lives which are not double acts, but lives which are true to your word and which shine out the bright light 
which saves people when they see it because they see the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Lord, save us from hypocrisy. Save us from the hypocrisy in us because you can do it. You are Almighty God.